This Breakfast with Ben's podcast on the Fans First Network brought to you by Gerger Construction. It's not too soon to start planning your dream deck. They build decks year-round, and they're booking into spring and summer 2024. Gerger Construction is a small burg business specializing in decks, pergolas, railings, and fencing. Fully insured, licensed, and now offering financing options. Go to GergerConstruction.com to get your free project estimate or to schedule your deck safety inspection today. Shut up and sit down. It is our Breakfast with Ben's podcast. Tim Ben's with you along with Kevin Gorman. Heading back up to Steelers training camp in just a little bit. But before I do that, let's talk some baseball with Kevin who covers the Pirates for us at Trib Live. Kevin Carlos Santana for... Wait, let me check it again. Johnny Severino, an 18-year-old, another middle infielder. What do we make of the first of what I expect to be, well, multiple Pirates trades before the deadline hits? Well, I actually think this is a really good move by the Pirates because what it does is it helps restock their farm system, which, you know, I was just looking at it as we uh, started this conversation. But, you know, out of the Pirates' top – 25 prospects or top 30 prospects if you want to go that deep i think they have um one two three four five six seven eight nine nine of their top 30 prospects were called up here in the last month or so so you know you're looking at a farm system even though it's regarded very highly by some that is bringing a lot of its top prospects up to the majors and doesn't have many shortstops in the system you know the, the pirates uh we're able to get a guy that was pretty highly regarded as an international prospect. And I think, you know, given what Carlos Santana gave them, he gave them exactly what they were looking for this season. You know, good defense at first base and a nice bat in the middle of the lineup who, who was able to get on base a lot and was leading the team in doubles um, and was up there among, you know, I think he was leading them in RBIs as well at the time of the trade. Um, but not most of the season he wasn't, but Carlos Santana provided exactly what the Pirates were expecting, but they were no longer in contention. And so, you know, trading him for whatever you could get was going to be, you know, the motivation for the Pirates front office. And and I think they got a really good prospect out of it. It's one that I'm not trying to make a comparison here, Tim, but it's one that reminds me of July 2017 when the Pirates traded Tony Watson to the Los Angeles Dodgers for an 18-year-old shortstop that everybody was like, oh, this guy's got a bit of a project that turned out to be O'Neill Cruz. They really have gotten themselves a lot of middle infielders. How about catchers and power or catchers and maybe some more pitching with some of the other moves? Can they target that? I would I would imagine um, even more so than catchers, maybe first baseman would be a target. That's one thing that their, their system is sorely lacking. Uh, power, you know, power guys, whether they're the corner outfielders or um, – or a first baseman, and I would I think pitching is always going to be a priority. We saw that with the Pirates in their draft. Uh, we saw that in, in the previous trades that they have made. When you look back at some of the deals they've made, uh, you know, in the past, Ben Charrington identified middle infielders and, and certainly tried to load up on them. And I think part of that's because of their versatility that they can either they could play either side of the bag, and then typically they're athletic enough that you can try to move them to the outfield if necessary. Um, but I, I expect the Pirates to load up on pitching. You know, there, there's a need for starting pitching, especially when you consider that Rich Hill is a pending free agent. Vince Velasquez, who's injured and out for the rest of the season, is a pending free agent. And then you have JT Brubaker and, and one of the top prospects, Mike Burrows, 
are both recovering from Tommy John surgery. So uh, I, I think that's one of the keys is that the Pirates were a position that looked like it was a, a position of depth for them in starting pitching uh, going into spring training, going into spring training. Uh, now it looks like one of the positions of need for them going into the trade deadline. Who's next and how many go? Well, I think Rich Hill would be the most likely candidate to get traded. Um, I just don't know what kind of value he's going to get for you in return. I think it's very much like a Santana. You kind of take what you can get, and hopefully it's a prospect that has some good upside. And that, and to do that means you're probably taking a guy who's, you know, class A or even possibly lower. You know, Severino was a Florida or an Arizona complex league guy. Uh, so that means, he, you know, he's essentially playing in the equivalent of, you know, Pirate City. Um but I, w- I would think that Rich Hill is is the candidate because here's a guy who can be a starting pitcher for you, can go out there and give you some innings. He's also worked out of the bullpen in his career. He has a lot of postseason experience, and he's a great clubhouse guy. So uh, he's, he's not the kind of guy who's going to make it all about him. He wants to win, and uh, and he's been in the World Series before. So I, I think there's value in that. I just don't know how much of a return you're going to get. I would think that the, the big question mark there after that is um, – you know, where, where's the value? If a team was looking for a guy who can be a, a backup corner outfielder and a first baseman, Connor Joe might have some value. It wouldn't surprise me to see the Pirates trade him, given that their outfield right now looks like it's Jack Swinski in center, Brian Reynolds in left, and Henry Davis in right, which makes Connor Joe the odd man out after being, uh, you know, a starter for a good portion of this season. I, I think the Pirates also are in position where, you know, they, they could really contemplate whether they want to trade David Bednar. I, I would think that there's some value there in terms of a guy who's a closer, has 20 saves, is a two-time All-Star, and is a power pitcher. For, for teams in need uh, of that back-end guy, he'd it, be a real value for them. Uh, he's certainly a value for the Pirates. And if they're going to be a contender here in 2024 and 2025, David Bednar still has three years of control. He only becomes arbitration eligible after this season. Um, and, and so I don't know if, the, you know, the Pirates have to kind of make a decision. Are they going to extend him and try to keep him as, as part of their run, or are they going to try to flip him and get multiple players who they feel like can be part of that? The problem for the Pirates is they don't have another closer at the ready. I mean, you could you could maybe hope that Dowry Moretta or Colin Holderman can do that role, but there, there's no evidence to say that they can. Um, you know, that they've, they've had their moments in their positions as setup men. But um, they're, they're not necessarily have shown any signs of being dominant closers the way David, David Bednar has for the Pirates. And the other one would be whether they're willing to trade Mitch Keller. And I, and I think it I think like Bednar, it's going to take a, a deal. that's going to have to blow the Pirates away. That's going to have to be one where you say, OK, we're giving up something of, of serious value in, in years of control. You know, Keller's only going into his second year of arbitration, but that's also when the Pirates traded Garrett Cole going into his second year. So there's more value knowing that the team acquiring him has years of control. And when I say years, multiple years of control. So that that's that's the big thing. You know, Keller may have priced himself out of the Pirates range. I, I really believe that he's the kind of guy that may have been willing to sign for a, a contract somewhere around four years, 50 million going into the season and because they didn't sign him now coming out of an, uh, you know, his first all-star appearance and, and proving that he can be not only, you know, an anchor of a staff, but a guy who can be a stopper of losing streaks. Um, you know, these last past two, the past two uh, starts, notwithstanding that, uh, that Keller's the type of guy who could command a contract, something similar to maybe what Joe Musgrove got with the Padres five years, a hundred million dollars. That wouldn't surprise me at all. If he could command that type of a salary on the open market. What's going on with Keller lately? Why has he struggled so much? Well, 
I don't mean to pin blame on anybody, but I, I don't I don't think it helped Keller's cause that he was out there working with a rookie catcher in his first start after the break. I also think, and, and Keller did not use this as an excuse, but I think that you know the timing was off there. He pitched one inning in a two-week span, you know, and that was in the All-Star game. Uh, so, you know, it, this is a guy who had his rhythm broken a little bit when he was pitching really well. Um, so, you know, th- those are things that I think work against him. But I also think that, you know, to some degree, we're, we're seeing Mitch Keller, who's kind of figured some things out, but also still has his, you know, uh, his weaknesses. That This is a guy who gives up home runs, and this is a guy who has rough innings every now and then. So I don't, I don't know that we're getting a guy who's quite, you know, a polished pitcher, and maybe that's why I, I was a re- little bit reluctant to call him an ace, even though I think he's certainly the Pirates' ace. I think he has to establish himself that regard, you know, league-wide. But I also think that, you know, occasionally you're going to see a guy who ha- has a couple starts back-to-back that can, that he can get roughed up, and then it's really, to me, a matter of how they recover. And and I think that's a, a big thing for Mitch Keller to see how he fares against a guy like Zach Wheeler. Going back to Bednar for a second, and you touched on some of these topics, but I just sort of want to reiterate how much of a litmus test this is about where they are. I know that they've had, for all of their problems over the years, they've had a knack for identifying, cultivating, finding closers. Um, And he's the latest. And they tend to spin them and sometimes get decent value back in return, like you talked about Watson. But, man, he's affordable uh, for what marketing is in Pittsburgh with the Pirates. He's marketable. Um, They'd really need to have their socks blown off to, to trade him, right? Yeah, Tim, I, I think it would be very on brand for the Pirates to have Yinzer Palooza weekend, David Bednar bobblehead night, and then trade him that same time. You know, that would be <laughs> that'd be one of those things where we'd say, okay, that, that's that's something the Pirates would do. Um, I, I think the Pirates are very cognizant um, and, and very self-aware of the public backlash that they got for trading Andrew McCutcheon. And McCutcheon, I'm not trying to compare McCutcheon and Bednar because McCutcheon was the catalyst of a team that ended 20 years of losing and had three consecutive postseason appearances. Uh, you know, so, so McCutcheon meant something entirely different to this city than David Bednar does. But David Bednar is a homegrown guy, you know, born in Mount Lebanon, uh, raised in Mars, even went to you know school in Pennsylvania, Lafayette, uh, came back in a, in a trade in, you know, you think about all the trades that they made where they dumped, you know, very valuable players. And uh, the Joe Musgrove trade is the one that has really worked out well for Ben Charrington, that he's got Bednar and Andy Rodriguez uh, as, as two of the pieces from that deal. So given his community efforts that he, he's very involved in doing things with the Mars school district, with baseball camps, with, um, you know, with pirates charities, you know, going to the miracle league fields and, and just, I've, I've witnessed it in person, like at the ballpark, when kids come to watch batting practice, they'll bring little league teams there and David Bednar will come through and give everybody a fist bump and sign autographs and talk to the kids. And he, he's like a big kid himself, you know, that this, this is a guy who gets it. And, you know, every day, He's he's kind of living the dream of being a Pittsburgh Pirate, playing in his hometown. You know, coming out uh, for his, his his walkout pitches when he when he's pitching the walkout song is Renegade. I mean, this is a guy who embraces everything about being a Pirate. So I would imagine they would tread very carefully in terms of trading David David Bednar, especially considering I think his salary is like seven hundred forty five thousand dollars. This is a guy that's producing very well 
on the cheap. And the Pirates have made that very clear. Bob Nutting has said that in the past, that they want guys who outperform their contracts. And David Bednar has done so. I just think it's a matter of whether when they have to start paying him, uh, you know, which would go into arbitration is, will he outperform that contract? And that's what the Pirates have to weigh. Uh, they have to weigh the backlash. But I also think that, it, you know, if somebody was willing, willing to give up something really good in return for David Bednar, that's that's a tough one to uh, to pass, surpass. That, you know, you, you've got a closer, but you've got a closer that you don't use very often because you're not winning. And you're not in the position to to have as many save opportunities as a contender would. And, and so that that's, that's the tough part about this, you know, especially with the Bednar. So if the Pirates are willing to listen, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean they're they're trying actively to trade him. It just means that they're they're open to suggestion because I think what they realize this year is that they have some talent and they have a chance to be a contender, but they don't have enough of it. Finally, Kevin, real quick here, you just saw the Angels play against the Pirates. Otani uh, didn't do all that much the first two games. They got to him as a pitcher the first game, then he homered the last game of that series. Yesterday against Detroit, game one, complete game, shutout, eight strikeouts, one hit allowed against the Tigers. And then in the second game, he goes out and hits two home runs. (laughs) It's something else, isn't it? It it really is. And it it kind of brings back the point that I was making about Mitch Keller is, you know, even Otani, who's one of the best, I, I don't think there's any question he's the best player in the game, but he's one of the best pitchers in the game. And uh, and the Pirates hit him up for what four home runs? Yeah. I mean that that was that was amazing to watch. It was amazing to see how Otani, you know, was was you know kind of hittable, and that he was, you know, this, this is a guy who wasn't untouchable like I think so many of us think of him. But I, I think that bounce back performance shows you that's what an ace does. You know, they're like hey, they're 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 out there. They're you're able to get to them every once in a while but they need to have that ability to bounce back and not let it become, you know, two and three and four bad starts in a row. But uh, everything he does is just kind of incredible. And we've talked about this in the past, Tim, about how much exertion is involved in these pitchers. And and I don't think people realize the athleticism that's involved and how much these guys have to go out there and give to be, to, you know, to have a start and then to have a shut, a shutout and follow that with a two home run game is, I, I, I think it's like, Sometimes I think the reaction to everything Otani does is over the top. And then sometimes I think, to, I think again, and I'm like, maybe none of this is over the top. Maybe this is exactly how we should be reacting to what this guy's doing because it's all pretty incredible. Appreciate it, Kevin. We'll talk again next week. Thanks for having me, Tim. Kevin Gorman, check him out. Covers the Pirates here at Trib Live.